Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Let's pray once more. Father, we give you thanks for this great opportunity we have to gather together. We do not take this for granted. We look around our country and around this world and we see where churches are finding it difficult to gather together. So we give you thanks and praise that this morning we are here. We thank you that we've been able to worship through singing. And now as we open your word and continue worshiping by engaging with your word, Father, help us. For what we need, we cannot supply on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us and and help us in thinking rightly about your word. So if the words that I offer are unhelpful in our engaging with the scripture, I pray, Father, that, that my words would fall. But if they are helpful in helping us to grasp what it is that you are communicating to us this morning, then I pray, Father, that they would be an encouragement. I pray that you would use them as we strive to look more like our Savior. Father, I do ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears. Give us minds to understand and hearts to do your will. Thank you that we, again, can peer into what it is that you have given us. We can hear from you. And we can apply it to our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit we pray. 
Amen. Well, people love to be praised. We love to hear someone tell us that we've done a good job or that we've made a contribution that mattered or that we've done something that, that warrants a good word in our favor. Being valued and appreciated are basic human needs, and the smallest gesture of praise can completely transform someone's day. Mark Twain famously said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Now, it's one thing to be praised by our fellow man, but what must it be like to be praised by God? Have you ever considered what is required to be praised by God? I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're not already there. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're continuing our series through 1 Peter called Living Hope. And last week we considered Peter's general exhortation for all Christian citizens to submit to authority. This week, in verses 18 to 25, Peter focuses on submission as slaves or as servants. Let me say from the outset, whether your translation says slave or servant, at the beginning of verse 18, either way, I'm well aware of the significant risk of me losing your attention this morning. So how do I know that I might lose you? Because I'm guessing that your brain works a lot like mine. Here's the challenge. We hear the word slave or servant, and immediately our minds are off to the races. Why did God allow slavery? Was the slavery mentioned in the New Testament the same as the institution of slavery in North America? Why didn't the apostles work to abolish slavery in the early church? And we could go on asking a million other good questions like these. Or we could run in the other direction by hearing the word slave or servant and think this is just another example of how antiquated and time-bound the Bible is, so it's irrelevant and not worth my time. For the first group, for, for those of us here in the year 2020, when our society is emotionally supercharged and divided over issues of race, we can hear the words slave or servant, which are loaded with meaning, and we can become distracted only to miss what God intended for this first century audience that Peter was addressing. For the second group, for, for those of us that think Peter's words only apply to the first century audience, we might become distracted and miss what God intends for us today. So for all of us, any time we open and read the Bible, we are hearing from Almighty God. Because He has spoken to us and because His Word is timeless, it is incumbent upon us to approach His Word humbly and expectantly, trusting that He will reveal His perfect will to us. And today's text is no exception. True, we, we might have questions about slavery in New Testament times, but let's not let that distract us from what these words meant to the audience that Peter was writing to. 
Equally true, none of us sitting in this room or in earshot of this message, if, if you're watching from home, none of us are household slaves like Peter was writing to. But that does not mean that there are not timeless truths and principles for us today that apply to us in our employment or our service. At first glance, we may wonder why Peter was writing directly to household servants, encouraging them to submit to their masters. But I'm confident Peter's reason will become clear by the end of this passage. Peter is instructing these household servants, these household slaves, on how they can live praiseworthy lives. He, he tells them how they can be commendable before others and before God. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. In verses 18 to 20, we're going to learn how to be commendable before God. So here's point one. Commendable before God, the instruction. In verse 21, we're, we're going to learn why we should be commendable before God. So point number two is this, commendable before God, the calling. And lastly, in verses 22 to 25, we'll see who was ultimately commendable before God. So point number three will be this, commendable before God, the example. So first, let's look at the instruction on how to be commendable before God. Look at verses 18 to 20 again with me. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So if you were here for our sermon series in Colossians last summer, you'll remember that we looked at Paul's instruction to the slaves in Colossae. I said it then, I'll repeat it now. The slavery that existed on this continent from the 16th to the 19th centuries is squarely rejected as sin by Scripture. The institution of slavery in the Roman Empire, it was different. Under the system of slavery that we see in the New Testament, slaves could work for pay and, and save enough to buy their freedom. One commentator has said, a better comparison of slavery in Rome to a modern equivalent might be like someone who received their college education for free in exchange for serving five years in the armed services upon graduation. Another example he gave would be medical school students and residents who receive a wage but are nonetheless owned by the institution who has agreed to pay for their training. While not like the slavery that was practiced here in the U.S., slavery as practiced in Rome was also not an ideal situation for someone to find themselves in. We discern that from verse 18. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So why would Peter address slaves in the churches of Pontus and Galatia Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Why not start a campaign and mobilize the church to overthrow slavery? 
the apostles, having been taught by the Lord, they realized that social change comes by way of individual heart change. It's not like we see in our culture and our society today through revolution. The apostles understood that true and lasting change happens through reformation. It's not to say that we don't speak out against the wrongs that we see taking place around us, but true, lasting, cultural change comes by way of hearts that have been shaped by the gospel. So how are are hearts shaped by the gospel? God is the main actor, obviously. He's the one that changes hearts, but he also uses followers of the Lord Jesus to uniquely impact the world. If only our society, if only our culture could see this, if they could only understand it, how different things would look right now. Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the slaves, again in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, because he realized that whatever the Christian's lot in life, even as a slave, they had an opportunity to do good and to leave an impression on those around them. Remember last week, uh, we looked at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans or unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As we heard last week, Peter is speaking to all Christian citizens in verses 11 through 17. He's focusing on Christian slaves in verses 18 to 21, which we're looking at today, and Christian wives in the beginning of chapter 3, which Nick is going to walk us through next week. And in each situation, he is calling on Christian citizens in general, and Christian slaves and wives specifically, to submit themselves to those over them. And and here's the reason why. Because he's confident their submission will impact others for Christ. For the slave, Peter instructs them to submit to their master. Peter says the slave is even to submit to the master that is harsh. He will even go on in verse 19 to say, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So while I believe there are clear applications that we can make from this passage to our lives today, and we will do that in a few minutes, I must first say we would be doing a gross injustice to this text if we walked away believing that it is advocating for us to submit to physical or emotional abuse. Peter's words are not giving license to our superiors to break the law, so please hear me. If you are in a situation that is dangerous to you, physically or emotionally, you need to seek help. You need to understand the Bible is not advocating for you to stay in a situation that is dangerous to you. So I'm pleading with you, if that's true of you, to seek help, whether it's by contacting me or Pastor Jeff, one of our elders, or even the police. Let me say it again. The Bible does not give license to sin, and this passage is no exception. 
So the Bible is not advocating for laws to be broken, but there were situations in Peter's time, and there are situations now in our time where someone, to use Peter's language, bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So whether the master is good and considerate or harsh, Peter is calling for the Christian slave to live in submission. So what is the catalyst for this submission? It is reverent fear of God. Some translations say with all respect or with all fear, but the NIV supplies the idea that this respect or fear is grounded in and toward God. I think this is right. A general survey of 1 Peter reveals that Peter is chiefly concerned with his audience's motivation for their lives to be characterized by a fear of God. So we as Christians, we we do not submit to those in authority over us because it's our civic duty or because it's the right thing to do or even out of a fear from the superiors for what they might do to us if we don't submit. Christians submit out of a reverent fear of God or as verse 19 says, because they are conscious of God. This act of bearing up under the pain of unjust suffering because of the Christian's consciousness or their fear of God, Peter says this is commendable. It is commendable. It is praiseworthy. Literally, a a gracious thing to submit under suffering. While God's grace is at work in the life of the one who bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, a gracious thing also means God is crediting a reward to the one who is suffering if they endure righteously. This is how we are commendable before God. It's how we handle our suffering. When meditating on verse 18, I I realize that this was a good opportunity for me to take stock of the bosses that I've worked for. And the simple exercise of, of thinking back over your bosses, it gives you either an opportunity to pray for those that were or are being harsh to you, or it could give you a reason to praise God for those that he's put over you in your life that were good and considerate. So I, I gave some thought to all of the bosses that I've had, and, and I couldn't think of a single one, with the exception of Jeff, that was harsh. I'm only kidding. I, friends, let me just take a moment to say that you have a godly pastor. Jeff not only cares for the congregation that the Lord has entrusted to him, but he also cares very well for the staff that the Lord has entrusted to him. Faithfully leading a church as a pastor is one of the hardest jobs in the world. So let me share some inside baseball with you. Jeff is to be commended for the way that he models obedience to the instructions that Peter gives here in verses 18 to 20. If you haven't done so in a while, I would encourage you to thank the Lord for your pastor. So whether you've had good and considerate bosses like I have or unjust and harsh bosses, Peter makes clear that our motivation for submitting to them is not rooted in their character nor their act of praising 
or commending us. It's nice to be commended by our superiors for doing good, but what happens when the good that you do goes unnoticed? For Christians, earthly praise is not our motivation for doing good. It is our reverent fear of God. If earthly praise is our motivation, we will soon tire of doing good when we don't receive man's praise. If earthly praise is our motivation, we don't stand a chance for submitting if our employer is harsh. Furthermore, according to the first part of verse 20, we can't expect to please God if we are treated poorly because of our rebellious actions. So how is it that we have, can have a greater impact and influence on a boss that is a jerk? Is it by being a jerk back to him or her, or is it through submitting to them? It is no credit to us. No reward is counted in our favor if we respond to our boss as the world would expect us to respond. To underscore how we are to act, Peter basically repeats verse 19 in the second half of verse 20. Notice, it's not merely the act of enduring suffering that commends us to God. It's how we do it. It's enduring unjust suffering or suffering for doing good and enduring it that commends us before God. So I, I can't miss this opportunity to point out Peter is not providing a blueprint for how to earn salvation. No, th- this is continuing education for the already saved. Peter is writing to Christian slaves to remind them how they should live. He's not writing to unsaved slaves to instruct them on how they can earn their salvation. How do we know this? Verse 21 tells us. In verses 18 to 20, Peter has given the instruction to Christian slaves on how they are to be commendable before God. In verse 21, he explains, those who are commendable before God have been called to live as he has instructed them. So this is our second point, commendable before God, the call. Look at verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. One of the most striking and encouraging things about verse 21 is is its exclusive inclusivity. I've used this phrase before, but it warrants being used again here. It's exclusive in that it is specifically and uniquely for those who have been called, for those whom Christ suffered for. This is a closed group in that Peter is writing to Christians. He's not being pluralistic here. He's not including those who were trusting in someone or something other than Christ to have saved them from their sin. The sense of this calling is that of being summoned. In other words, those Peter is writing to are subject to an authoritative demand for their presence and participation. Friends, if you're a Christian, like the slaves here in 1 Peter 2.21, you have been called. You've been summoned by King Jesus. An authoritative demand has been issued for your presence and participation. The exclusivity of this calling carries weight, not because of anything we've done to earn this standing, but because of the graciousness 
of God. So in the military, when when a general issues a call for a soldier, he's basing that selection on the soldier's merit. He wants the best of the best. Not so with the Lord. When he issues his call, he does so based solely on his mercy and by his grace. So this is where the inclusivity of verse 21 shows up. Who was Peter writing to? He was writing to slaves. These folks were not at the top of the party invitation list. These folks were not among the who's who of the Roman Empire. Back to our example of a a general issuing a call for a soldier. These folks were not the Green Berets. At best, they were like a recruit in basic training. The fact that God had graciously saved these slaves that Peter is writing to points to the fact that God's standards for his call are far different from ours. Peter's exclusive inclusivity is not unique to this letter. He he was preaching the same thing in Acts 10. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all? You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews, And in Jerusalem, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Don't miss verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Church, may we never tire of marveling at God's gracious extension of mercy toward everyone who believes in Jesus. From the highest ranking member of society to the lowest, those who trust Jesus to forgive them of their sin, they receive the same salvation when they are called to follow Jesus. Peter doesn't just simply let these slaves know that they were called. He tells them why. And why have they been called? Look at the middle of verse 21. Because Christ suffered for you. This is staggering. You want to know how to encourage a believer with the gospel? You want to know how to strengthen a believer as Peter is doing here with these slaves? You remind them that Christ suffered for them. And how did he suffer? Look at verses 22 to 25. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We have inspected the instruction, we've considered the call, and lastly, we're going to examine the example. This is our third point, commendable before God, the example. Verses 22 to 25 expand on the second half of verse 21. Peter says, Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Why was it necessary for Christ to suffer? Most simply put, if Christ did not suffer for sinners, there is no salvation. But what was unique about Christ's suffering? It was foretold by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52.13 to 53.12. Commonly known as the suffering servant passage, these verses were written over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. This passage from Isaiah predicts that the Savior would be the sinless substitute for sinners. And this passage that we're looking at here in 1 Peter, it confirms that Jesus was indeed the suffering servant. What we believe about Jesus as the suffering servant is critical. Don Lemon, host of CNN Tonight, recently said the following on his show, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. At best, Don Lemon is ignorant on the deity of our Lord Jesus. At worst, his statement is blasphemous. God's word is clear that the point of the Lord's suffering for those who believe in him was that in his sinlessness, he made atonement for sinners. If Jesus was not sinless, as Don Lemon believes, his suffering was totally ineffective in offering us any hope whatsoever when we stand before the holy God. For the weightiness of Christ's actions on our behalf, let's remember who Peter is talking to and what he is instructing them to do. Remember that he's talking to slaves and he's saying that they should submit to their masters. Those under authority were to submit to those with authority. And that's exactly why Jesus' suffering was so remarkable. Jesus, the one with all authority. Jesus, the one who is supreme above all. Jesus, the one that at his name every knee should bow. This Jesus humbled himself to suffer for those who would trust him with their sin. If ever there was anyone who did not need to submit to someone else, if ever there was anyone who did not need to subject themselves to someone else, It was the Lord Jesus. And yet, if you are a Christian, let this sink in. 
He suffered for you. He not only suffered for us, but He left us His example that we should follow in His steps. Following His example doesn't mean that we atone for sin like He did. We cannot do that. Rather, it shows us how to love those over us, those that we submit to, even those who cause unjust suffering, even those who are harsh. So how should slaves respond to harsh masters? How should we respond to harsh bosses? Look to Jesus. His entire ministry was marked by rejection, trials, and ultimately by being brutally beaten before being executed by being hung on a tree. How did he respond? No deceit was found in his mouth. When his detractors insulted him, he did not feel the need to defend himself by hurling insults back. When he suffered, whether physically or emotionally, he made no threats. Jesus was our example. Jesus is our example. The word for example back in verse 21 points to a representative form or a pattern to be imitated. It's understood as a handwriting book in which the letters are copied. I remember receiving similar example sheets back in elementary school, and some of y'all probably received these as well. They had the cursive letters on them, right? Both lower and uppercase. And the idea was that you learned how to write those foreign-looking little squiggly shapes by tracing your pencil over the dotted lines, making up the letters again and again until the uncomfortable act of tracing those letters became automatic. Similarly, Jesus has laid down his life for us so that we can see his example and follow in his steps. So how was Jesus able to bear up under the pain of unjust suffering? How was he able to endure suffering while only and always doing good? This is huge. You've got to see this. It's at the end of verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Friends, that, oh, that the same thing might be said of us. Oh, that the same thing might be said of us that, that we would not take justice into our own hands, but that we would trust him who judges justly. What's this speaking of? Peter is talking about God the Father who sees all things, who knows all things. Not a single injustice escapes his sight. And what we are to believe, what Jesus firmly believed, is that one day God the Father will justly respond to every injustice. And that brings us great comfort because we realize that we do not have to do that. Let's follow Jesus' Jesus example. Let's entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. So how can the slaves that Peter is entrusting, instructing, bear up under the pain of unjust suffering? How can they suffer for doing good and endure it? By entrusting themselves to him who judges 
justly. Again, how can we bear up under the pain of unjust suffering? How can we suffer for doing good and endure it? The same way, by entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't strike back with his words. He, he didn't retaliate, and he made no threats. Why? Because he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus gave us the example, and if anyone knows the character of the Father, it is the Son. We should trust Jesus' example and also One last time, entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Peter reminds the slaves that their forgiveness was costly and that Jesus died taking our sins on himself so that we would no longer be held captive to our sin. His death means that we can die to sin and live for righteousness. In this case, living for righteousness looks like submitting to harsh masters. Right on the heels of Peter showing how Jesus bore our sins on the cross and submitted to the point of laying down his life for our sake, he goes on to to state a very well-known phrase that's often associated with physical healing. By his wounds you have been healed. And in context, we see clearly that Peter is not referring to physical healing, but to the forgiveness of our sin. The prophecy of Isaiah, back in chapters 52 and 53, of the suffering servant, they show us what Jesus would do. That by taking our sin by the, the, himself being the perfect one who had no sin, by him taking that sin upon himself, we have been healed. So the justification for a slave to follow Peter's instruction and subject themselves to their master is that their Savior, the one with all authority, subjected himself on their behalf. Because Jesus died, we can live righteously. We can follow Jesus' example and live lives of submission, even to harsh bosses. Peter concludes this passage with another reference to Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. While Peter clearly had Isaiah 53, 6 in mind, he adds a hopeful twist in verse 25. Look at it once more. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In light of the finished work of Christ, we no longer turn to our own way. Because Christ suffered for us, We have now returned or or turned about to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus not only saves and provides an example, he lovingly protects. He looks out for it. He guides everyone that belongs to him. 
He was well aware of the conditions that the slaves Peter was writing to experienced. Everything that they underwent, all of the unjust suffering, all of the harshness from those over them, he was well aware of it. And he knows your situation as well. Friends, if if you're here this morning and you are living according to Peter's instruction here, as you've been called to follow Jesus' example and to follow in his steps, if you're living in such a way and enduring unjust treatment, if you are living, subjecting yourself and submitting to a harsh boss and you're enduring that, then you are acting in a way that is commendable before God. And the the great response for our hearts is to realize that this is all possible because of Christ and what He's done for us. So if if you're here this morning and, and you can't say that you are walking after the example of Jesus, if you're here and, and you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never submitted to Jesus, then all of your good works, the very best you can do, all that you can stack up in your favor, all of the accolades, all of the attaboys, all of that is worthless. None of it is commendable before God. It's only in Christ that our suffering, that our enduring, that our submitting to harsh bosses and heavy-handed people, it's only in Christ that we receive that praise and that commendation from God. So whether a first-century slave or one of us here in the 21st century, Christ's example shows us how to be commendable before God, and it's by being commendable in Christ. The invitation is open for you. If, if you are one who, who says, I've never submitted to Christ, the invitation is open for you today to make that decision. And I would urge you, I would beg you to do that before leaving this, this room, this building. Lay your life down before the Lord. Bow the knee to King Jesus so that you can follow his example, so that you can walk in his steps, so that it can be said of you that he suffered for you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that he gave himself. He gave himself up for sinners like me. It's amazing that Jesus, being perfectly sinless, took my sin upon himself so that I might receive eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is struggling with 
this decision. I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that you would remove the, 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 the blinders, Father. Help them to see Christ for who he is. Father, may they submit to him so that they too can be forgiven of their sin. We thank you now for this table that is before us. We ask, Father, that you would help us to inspect our hearts, that we would discern, Father, whether or not we have a complaint against another brother or sister. Father, I pray that you would help us to seek forgiveness if that's the case, that there would be no sin in our hearts. I pray that you would help us to rightly take this table before us, that we would rightly take the elements realizing what it is that Christ did for us. That we would not take this lightly, but we would understand the great sacrifice. We give you thanks for the example that we have in Christ. Thank you for the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. It's in his name we pray and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.